AnteUp is your poker magazine dedicated to the everyday player and their poker rooms. Pick up a free copy at your favorite poker room nationwide each month. But AnteUp is much more than a magazine. Visit AnteUpMagazine.com daily for breaking news and each week download our award-winning poker cast. Join us on our action-packed poker cruises to exotic destinations. AnteUp, it's your poker magazine. From the Anti-Up headquarters in Tampa Bay, Florida, it's the Anti-Up PokerCast. And now, here are two guys who think they know how to play poker, Chris Casenza and Scott Long. It's December 21st, 2018. You're listening to the holiday edition of Anti-Up PokerCast. I'm Chris Casenza. And I'm Scott Long. So, I mean, it could be the next week could be the holiday edition. Could Well, we could have two holiday editions. Could be a series. It could be the Boxing Day edition next week. I love Boxing Day. I love the episode of MASH when they have Boxing Day and all the corporals become, you know, majors and, and generals and then they tell them what to do. It's hilarious. You watched a lot of MASH growing up, didn't you? Way too much. I still do. I still fall asleep to it at night. I've probably watched every episode 60 times. <laughs> uh, we got Boxing Day correct on the trivia last night. Um, I, I was not aware of this, though, because I always make fun of our our Canadian friends that we made to Annie up uh, about Boxing Day because they never know what the hell it is, right? Um, but that's where they celebrate it, right? And then uh, so then the trivia question is about, you know, what's this day after Christmas in Britain? I'm like, oh, my God, Great Britain celebrates Boxing Day too? I wonder if they know what it is. <laughs> They're the originals. <laughs> that's what they unmatched. That's their, it's it's the, the Brits that come into the camp and tell them about Boxing Day. Ah, uh, like, interesting. Oh, yeah. yeah. Canada took it from them. Or kept, you know, continued the tradition See, I, when they went over there. The first time I wasn't just an ugly American, I was an ugly North American. <laughs> ugly and ignorant. <laughs> That's you. Speaking of Britain. Well, uh, well speaking of Britain, uh, <laughs> I, I'm very interested to get your take on this because I, I know you've written a column on kids playing poker, so right. I have a feeling I know where you're going with this, but maybe I'm wrong. So, all right. Uh, the the Hurlingham Club. Is that how you say it? From <laughs> I think so. The Hurlingham Club, an exclusive club in London, frequently led by royals and celebrities, is being criticized for hosting a poker night for players ages 15 to 19. Players will not be wagering money, but will be using play chips. Critics say the event fosters uh, a growing uptick in gambling addiction in Great Britain. That's what I have to say about that. Yeah, I figured you're going to go there. That's a bunch of baloney. I mean, you know what? It's one thing if you're keeping kids from smoking and drinking because it affects their health and their ability to function, and that's why you have an age set out of it because if you're an adult, you can do whatever you want. But, I mean, give me a break. I mean, seriously, just give me a break. I mean, yeah, that'd be awesome. A can- camel no filter casino night. So, what's next? The kids can't play Monopoly because there's fake money involved? I mean, seriously, so you, or you're, you're playing a game, you're trying to beat somebody at that game, it depends on how you roll on where you land, and it's all chance, and they're just having fun, trying to accumulate the most money and the most properties to win the game, but when you're doing it with cards, or you're doing it with a tournament in poker or something, oh no, no, that's that's a gambling addiction, as if to say... We're gonna keep you from being addicted to, you know, to any kind of wagering, 
uh, or having a gambling addiction until you're 20. And then if you want to be a gambler and be addicted, go ahead. No problem. It, it doesn't make any sense. Um, all right. So I, I will agree with you on all your points. I will say there is an optics problem here. As yeah. In the world, right? So um, I don't think there's anything wrong with this, but from the PR standpoint, um, and uh, there are some studies that showing the gambling addiction is on the way up in Great Britain. So that's not uh, hoo-hoo either. But um, it, it's not necessarily the uh, event that I would choose to run for people 15 to 19. <laughs> I would probably choose something a little bit different. kind of reminds me like when I go back up uh, to Ohio and so, like some of the more rural regions, they always do gun raffles for uh, school PTAs. Oh, man. And I'm like, ah, okay, I guess that's going to work here. <laughs> but it just doesn't seem right. <laughs> uh, and, of course, you know, they probably say, hey, guns don't kill people, people kill guns. Or guns, well, you know. I wish people kill guns. <laughs> Whatever that bumper sticker is, but. Uh, <laughs> uh, but at the same time, there's an optics problem with that, right? You know, uh, so. So I, I, that's where I would come down on it. I would say uh, I am not going to criticize him for doing it. I'm going to criticize him for not thinking of something else to do for this. Yeah, I agree. I, I I don't I don't necessarily think it's the greatest idea in the world, but to say that it fosters the uptick, I mean, to me, they've proved that addiction is something that's in your DNA. You're just delaying it, maybe. I, I don't know if fostering is the right word, but I don't know. To me, it's just it's just kids are gonna do what they do anyway. They play they play video games and they compete and they compete for you know uh, prizes and stuff. When they go to Chuck E. Cheese and they're they're playing games for tickets and the tickets they, they go and they exchange them for gifts. I mean, where do you where do you end right, it? That, that's actually a better point. That's probably probably a bigger source of getting people into the bug of gambling. Um, not, not addiction. I'm not going to go that far. I don't want Chucky to sue me here, but right. Uh, but of uh, the lottery mentality, right? Uh, spend some money and hope to get something in return for it for doing a little bit of nothing, right? Yep. And, yep. and and that starts very young because of that. Now, obviously, it's a little bit different because you can't go into uh, the Golden Nugget and play skee ball for money. <laughs> but um, you know, I guess it's a gateway, right? That's yeah. what they call it. It's funny because I we I've run that article I wrote about teaching my granddaughter, who, by the way, is here this week. Can't wait uh, to get off the show. Oh, you so got, go hang out. Got her out of rehab. Yeah, got her out of rehab. So, you know, we I taught her how to play that game, and she's now in high school and doesn't gamble on anything in life. And I never never got any kind of brushback from the – I run that I've run that piece twice in 10 years because I thought it was a good time to rerun it. For some reason, there was something during the time I won it the second time. There's a reason why I run to run it. But anyway, I've run it twice. Not one person wrote in and said anything – negative everything was positive oh man we taught i remember i taught my son and you know and it's like but this this just seems i agree with you 100 percent though it's it's kind of like a bad optics like you said it's it's not really the thing that you want to be known for is that you took kids into your your club and had a poker tournament for them but um it's still i think it's a little overreaction to I don't know. I'm just I'm yeah, I'm yeah. fine with it. Maybe I'm being a little. I mean, I don't think I'm being harsh at all. But maybe I'm a little too harsh because it is Great Britain, and part of the thing was they talked about 
James Bond and being James Bond, right? So, of course, no one's talking about, you know, killing people. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. That, there's no problem with that. It's just the gambling <laughs> part. Uh, so there's a little bit more of a history of what they're trying to do there than maybe in Florida or somewhere else, right? So, right, right. Um, but it does seem like they could have come up with, uh, with, with something else. There's a thousand other ideas they could have come up with. And the gambling there is... Uh, much more out in the open, isn't it? Isn't it much more like legal and prevalent? Well, that's a good question. I don't really know. I, um, I, I don't know if I can answer that. Uh, might be, might not be. Um, generally, more thing, things are more lax in Europe than they are here. But um, I don't know. I'd be I curious if were... our, our, our British listeners that have been to the U.S. because they, they have like those those places you just go in and make a wager. It's not like it's. I don't know. Uh, I, I thought the London clubs you had to be members of. So it's a little oh, maybe. A little I don't extra know. step to get in, but I could be wrong. I'd but. like to learn about that. But. Well, here's my other question. When when did you first start playing cards, Chris? Oh, really young. I mean, right. I, I wasn't good at it when I was really young, but my father and I would... My father my father used to watch me while my mom worked at night, so we used to hang out, and he would teach me how to play draw poker and all their games, too, like fun games like Steal the Old Man's Pack and things like that. But, um, yeah, I mean, I was probably five or six, and I already knew what beat what. Yeah, I guess that was kind of my point is I don't know a lot of people who have been exposed to gambling in the ages of 15 to 19. Now, that doesn't mean that they could have been exposed like we were, you know, playing rummy with our grandparents and then all of a sudden, oh, wait, wait what's this craps game? Yeah. <laughs> They're 18 and they go and, you know, blow off their uh, their college fund, right? But uh, I don't think there, there's a lot of these people being introduced to it then. So um, I think the the worry about that's a little overstated as well. Yeah. Plus, you know what? Too, uh, gambling here is legal at what eighteen? Eighteen. Yeah. Yeah. True. So really, it's just fifteen, sixteen, seventeen that you're exposing. You know what I mean? It's it was like just I don't know. It just seems like there's only a few handful of kids there that don't even can't even do it legally anyway. You know what I mean? Out of that whole age range they put up for the tournament so i don't know i i just i would say that i uh i think it's probably not a great idea but i am not against what they did especially for play chips kids kids do this all the time you, you go to the you go to the lunchroom when you were a kid and guys were always doing stuff like this or they're playing that little football game for their dessert you oh, know, yeah, with, yeah. The, with the folded up the piece of paper into a triangle and you got to slide across. You know, oh, I could like, throw a real football to save my ass, but I could play that all day long. Yeah, exactly. So it just it seems like it's just an overreaction, um, to, you know, in a sensitive society. But I'm 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 fine with it. All right, we agree. Awesome. Well, not awesome. It's usually better when we disagree. <laughs> it's usually better when we disagree. All right, maybe we'll disagree on this next one. I don't think so. <laughs> a New Jersey poker player visiting the Seminole Hard Rock Casino in South Florida uh, met a woman in the hotel's elevator who said she was a masseuse and could help him de-stress. <laughs> de-stress. After going back to his hotel room and partially undressing, the woman excused herself, claiming chest pain, hurt at once, hurt at all the time, right? <laughs> and walked out of the room with $10,000 in cash, $6,100 in poker chips, and a $50,000 watch. Surveillance cameras and a GPS and her rental car led cops to her the same day. Oh my gosh, so much to talk about here, but you can start with whatever you want to. No, no, you, you sounds like you're chomping at the bit here. And since I know some uh, pain drugs are probably still in your system, this might be fun. So why don't you start 
and I'll I'll jump in, but I think that's pretty funny. Yeah, you're at a root canal Monday, and, and I got to tell you this. I mean, we talked a little bit before the show. I'm not going to rehash some of that. Yeah, don't do that because you'll start dropping f bombs on the show, and we don't want that. I, you know, I, one, you're a professional sick person, so you know how to deal with this stuff, right? Yeah. I'm a complete amateur. I am, like, healthy as a horse, right? So yeah. when I get struck down, I am the biggest baby in the world, right? <laughs> so I don't have an experience with all these pain meds that everybody says are wonderful, right? So twice I've gotten pain meds after surgeries, and both times I could not wait to flush it down the toilet, I just I don't get this whole how people get addicted to this stuff. I don't. Next I'm time, like, call me. Will you don't flush. Up. Don't flush. Call. Messed up for an I'll, entire day, and I could not wait for it to get out of my system. I'll come take them off your hands. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure you will. <laughs> that won't be happening. Any cops that are listening. <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. I don't take them either. <laughs> um, all right. Well, oh my gosh. So I mean, isn't this straight out of I? This is a movie here, right? This isn't. Even a TV plot. This is like every time you read it, you're like, "Oh, I know it's oh no ah oh, yeah ah oh, yeah oh of course all the way down to the end with her getting caught in the same day because she had a rental car with GPS in it." <laughs> well, it did and take place course, in Hollywood, so it did. And take of course, place it's in at Hollywood. a casino. You know, <laughs> hey, oh, no one's going to see me. There's no cameras anywhere. <laughs> oh my god! I mean, the level of stupidity in both of these people involved in this is just astronomical, right? Careful, the guys from Jersey. <laughs> All right, so here's a. Th- I'm gonna make a lot of judgments here, so I might rile a bunch of people up. All right, but yeah. all right, so one, you're in a casino and you're going down an elevator, and a random woman, not in a uh, massage therapist uniform or anything, says, "Hey, I'm a masseuse." Are you gonna believe her or not, Chris? <laughs> you're gonna be skeptical, I think. A little, little, bit skeptical, little bit skeptical there. <laughs> 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 and uh, when she offers you help distress, uh, I think I know what that means, right? And I think this guy knew what that means, too, right? <laughs> yep. Doesn't seem like there was any negotiation about what was going to happen here. So I'm wondering if he was so dumb that he actually thought that he was all that and she was just into him, right? And then, of course, he gets back there and uh, you know they're having a little fun. And then, oh! I'm sorry, I have chest pain. Let me go in the bathroom for a minute. I'll take care of that. Chest pain? <laughs> that's like the one pain you don't like treat yourself. That's one pain that's 9-1 followed by 1. <laughs> well, okay, let me know if you need anything. And then, then he keeps all of his stuff in the bathroom? Oh, I mean, oh, I don't know if that's what the stuff is. I mean, she could have just lifted it from him and then left. You know, stuffed it in her, you know, bra and everything, and then walked out. I don't know. <laughs> she probably tied him up like George Costanza. I mean, remember, there's no more ten thousand dollar bills now. They're all a hundred. So that's what a hundred bills. <laughs> she probably tied him up like George Costanza on Seinfeld, and then walked out with him. Sixty one hundred poker chips. Now, I mean, again, poker chips could be in higher denominations, but. 6100 I'm going to suggest that these aren't $1,000 chips, right? So right. that's a lot of chips to shove in her painful chest. <laughs> and then, oh, my God, don't even get me started on who needs a watch that costs $50,000. <laughs> I have never in my life, including the brand-new car I bought my wife three years ago, spent more than $50,000 on a car. And you know what the car has, Chris? Huh. As a clock. 
<laughs> you said need. People don't need the 50K watch. That's a status symbol. It's for that you go out getting dressed like Sammy Farhai. You're going to wear, you know, it, it, it makes the person, you know. They don't They don't need They probably don't even set it. They probably don't even check it. They just want to wear it and say, look, I got a $50,000 Rolex on my arm. Right, I'm just going to say it. If you have a $50,000 watch, you deserve to have it ripped off. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Oh, nice. You know. <laughs> We we all spend money on weird stuff, but that is ridiculous. All right. <laughs> if you have a fifty thousand dollar watch, I would just like take the the loss and then avoid this story being insulted by it. You know, you're gonna well, get your like, yeah. You're right. If you have a fifty thousand dollar watch and you're just walking around with ten k and sixty one hundred poker chips and picking up random women and ho- hotel elevators, you're probably pretty loaded, right? <laughs> might be better just to avoid the whole embarrassment of this entire story, right? They have PR. Just, uh, just keep your mouth shut. <laughs> <laughs> go, oops, well, that didn't go the way I want. <laughs> Let me go back to the ATM and have some fun the real way. I got to tell you, the masseuse uh, should have known that this guy is going to notice pretty quickly that the stuff is missing. She should have been willing to do the deed. Oh my gosh! Get the guy knocked out at least, and then have a running chance to getting away. You know oh what I mean? God. You're criticizing me for criticizing the guy for 50k. <laughs> now you want this woman to go roll Red Sparrow on this? Well, guy. I mean, she's hey, she's willing to go in there and partially undress, and she's clearly leading him on. If you're going to try to get 66k off of a guy, you should at least be willing to, you know. Well, it wasn't clear by the away. article whether she partially undressed. Oh. Been okay. more excited than she was. Oh, all right. Well, yeah. I guess he would have to if she's going to relieve him of stress. I guess yeah, he'd be the one who's taking his clothes off. Right. <laughs> but still, I mean, come on. <laughs> Give the guy a happy ending. <laughs> <laughs> and then you know. And then well, he they, did because they found her in a couple hours because she's an idiot. It wasn't the happy ending he was looking for. <laughs> How do you not know there are cameras everywhere, and how do you not know there's a GPS in your rental car? I know it was. It was. You can tell it wasn't thought out. She probably saw the watch in the hotel elevator and was like, "Hey." And then, in the thing, four miles away, the day's in. You're free and clear. <laughs> no one's gonna think to look for me here. <laughs> oh man! You know, with the like uh, Tommy Lee Jones from the U.S. Marshal shows up. I wanna. I went according around three miles, not four miles, three miles around the hotel. <laughs> Checkpoints everywhere. <laughs> See, this is why we're so lucky that the guy was a poker player, because otherwise we wouldn't have been able to really talk about this story. You know, so we need to broaden our horizons. I think the next podcast we do is going to just be like general knowledge or something, so we can just find the best stories possible to laugh at. Potpourri. Isn't that what it's like uh, the tic-tac-toe? Tic-tac-toe. It'll be a potpourri cast. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, a couple couple things I can take this back though. One, uh, poker players be smarter than this guy. All right. Yeah. We all know what this guy was trying to do here, but he was stupid, right? <laughs> right. Don't do that. And then uh, the other thing too, I thought about this is um, back when we worked uh, with the massage therapist that came on our cruise ships, and and they had the contracts to do some poker rooms around here. One of the things that they get really upset about is these kind of stories because it's hard for their employees to be treated with respect because when people hear this they think that everybody's like that right in that industry um and that's real difficult so uh, we we share the same sort of burden in this story 
Brown right. makes poker exactly. players look like idiots. You know what I mean? So I'm right there with them. And the same thing about when they, they gamble and they do these stupid things and get in trouble because they had their home game broken into or they do something stupid and steal and then makes us look bad. You know, same right. exact thing. Exactly. I, yeah, I, I feel for them. Yeah, so th- this is not good for anybody. So I'm glad we get, uh, spent about half an hour on it then. <laughs> All right, any updates? Our 2019 Indian Poker Cruise schedule includes an 8-9 Southern Caribbean adventure and two shorter weekend cruises. Passengers on all sailings get a one-month membership to advanced poker training and a quick reference poker odds card from thegamblingschool.com. For more info, visit com. And as I said last week, just in time for your holiday shopping, but you better hurry, Antioch has partnered with Public to open a new online storefront where you can get Antioch logoed merch. Visit tpublic.com slash stores slash anti-up. That's dash, not slash. Uh, to check out t-shirts, hoodies, sweatshirts, uh, phone and laptop cases, coffee and drink mugs, and much more with your choice of Antioch Magazine, Antioch PokerCast, or Antioch Poker Tour logos. We'll be rolling out new unique designs soon. And for a limited time, T Republic has all merchis, uh, merch on sale. So is it T Republic or T Public? T Public. Okay. Did I still have it wrong? Somewhere? It says Republic. Oh. I'll fix it right now. T Public. T Public. Sorry. All right. Find yourself name, in a situation I, that you favor. What? <laughs> I didn't name the company. I just renamed it. <laughs> All right. Find yourself in a situation at your favorite poker room or home game, and you're not sure what the proper ruling should have been. Email us at podcast at idiotmagazine.com. We'll have Hollywood Casino Toledo Director of Poker Elliot Schechter tell you how he would have ruled. Some guy named Vic. I don't know who he is. <laughs> Writes in and says, uh, in a 1-2 game, the button straddled from seat 5 and several players limped for 5 bucks. When action got back to the button, the dealer had forgotten about the straddle. He burned the top card, dealt out the 3 flop cards face down, gathered them up, and was about to spread them when the button stopped the action and asked about his option. In doing so, the door card was exposed to half of the table, most likely including the button. No other flop cards were exposed. The dealer called the floor, who ruled the exposed card would be next the next burn card. It was set aside. The two original flop cards, plus the next card off the deck, were used as the flop. We've heard other call-the-floor submissions where the dealer flubbed the flop and the exposed card or cards were shuffled into the deck so they may have an opportunity to come back out, but in this ruling, the exposed card would never be seen again. While this ruling seemed expedient, was it correct? Also, the exposed card was a six of clubs. If, say, my whole card, uh, whole cards were pocket sixes, arguing against the floor's ruling would only let my opponents know that I wanted that card. How do you handle what you think are incorrect rulings when exposed cards you need are burned? All right, Elliot says, uh, from what you described, appears the supervisor's decision was to treat the prematurely exposed six of clubs as a boxed card. The remedy for a boxed card is to treat it as a scrap of paper, and irrelevant to the deck. The box card is discarded and dealing resumes, which is exactly what happened. As the Six of Club was prematurely exposed and not merely a box card, this was the wrong solution. The solution for a premature flop is to complete the betting round, then shuffle the stub, including the exposed card or cards. Initial burn does not get included in the flop, uh, and oh, does not get included, and the flop would come off of the newly shuffled stub. If only the one card was exposed, the remaining cards from the flop would not be exposed, even though those were to be shuffled back into the stub. As for the exposed cards having anything to do with your hand, arguing for a correct and proper procedure is the right thing regardless, and most players will take it at face value that you're just trying to make sure the game 
dealt and supervised correctly. When I play and witness an incorrect ruling being made, one that affects my hand or not, I strongly yet politely urge that someone higher up the chain of command make the decision if that person is available. I always make sure to ask point blank if that is the house rule and if that is how it is implied. If that's not possible, it does no good. I ask the poker room manager's contact info so the matter can be discussed further. The feedback will almost always be appreciated and be used to help eliminate incorrect rulings. I can see what he's saying too, uh, Vic, because you know you really want that six or you really want that club, and it's like, you know, hey, it's not fair that now the odds I've already done my betting, and now I know information that can change the odds of why I want to be in this pot or. If I argue too strongly, they're going to know I want that card. That they also also they'll know if clubs come or if a six comes to avoid me. And and he's right, but at the same time, I mean, if if you do that to if you just are as as impassioned for every correct ruling, of course, at that time you're only going to have maybe one ruling the whole time you're there. So they're not going to know that you argue rulings all the time that passionately. So then you are giving away uh, you're giving away your 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 strength of your hand so i agree with him it's tough but you, you got to do it you got to stand up for the the correct rulings called well justice. here's the thing mistakes are always tough there's no good way of avoiding i mean resolving a mistake <clears throat> so you got to go into it with that what i kind of told vic was i mean it was just kind of what ellie says i mean arguing for the right to uh right opinion it shouldn't matter whether it affects your cards or not so right. the fact that in the example that he mentioned, that it is pretty cruddy because really, when you're playing pocket sixes, you're hoping for a set and <laughs> for two outs, and now you're down to one out, yeah. um, and you've already invested money. So I get that, but but if you're arguing um, not fanatically, right? I think I think it's how you argue. If you're just saying, "Hey, come on, I this is not how I understand the rule to be. I just want the rule to be applied correctly." Yeah, some people are probably going to think that it affects your hand. But here, let's say then uh, an hour later you argue another one when it has no bearing on your hand. That same person's going to think it now has a bearing on your hand. So mm. you, you can't control what other people think about what you're doing. So um, that doesn't make any difference to me, I don't think. I mean, in, in the moment it does probably, but in the larger, like most things in poker, in the larger world that it doesn't it, – it matters less, right? So, so you're saying that he, you can angle shoot either way. Like if, well, yeah, if an ace think, is exposed, you can be like, I really want that card, and you don't. Yeah. So, all right, let's say I'm arguing, and then I see you look at me, I'm like, oh, yeah, that guy's got pocket sixes. I know why he's arguing this, right? Yeah. So now I can now I have a, um, information on you where you think that whenever I argue for a ruling, it's because it directly helps me, right? Right. Then the next time I'm arguing for a correct ruling – um, I have to be cognizant of the fact of how I think you reacted the last time, right? So now I have to think that you think that I I'm arguing because it affects me positively, even if it doesn't, and then that's extra information. So it's that third or fourth level, and I don't think a lot of people need to go that far, but yeah, it's the same situation as anything else like that. Yep. I think. Yep, I agree. Oh, we get to complete O'Malley's move just in time for the holiday season. Uh, here comes part one. Hello, and welcome to another O'Malley's Move. I'm Malcolm O'Malley. 
This week we are back at our regular $1, $2, no limit hold'em cash game at a casino we frequent. We've been having an up and down night, getting our starting stack of $300 down to $140 before adding on another $100 and then doubling up. We sit with around $480. Since we've been at the table, two uber maniacs have sat down. They know each other and like to trash talk, but really only to one another. They play fast, aggressively, and extremely loose, but they will fold if pressured enough. The blinds post and Maniac 1 makes it $15 to go. Maniac 2 calls from early position, and it's folded to us in the cutoff with the Queen of Hearts, Queen of Clubs. Nice, let's make some money with these ladies. We bump it to $60. It's folded around to Maniac 1, who also folds, but Maniac 2 calls. He started the hand with around $340. There's around 130 in the pot, and the flop is the jack of hearts, eight of spades, five of spades. The maniac checks, and we make it $80 to go. The maniac instantly shoves, which is not entirely unexpected. So, if we call and lose, we're down to 140. Call and win, and we are in the midst of a huge night. What's the move? I can't see how we can fold here. We're only behind flop sets and sneakily played aces or kings uh, against this type of player. I'm certainly taking my chances. You know, we all fall for it, too, when we're playing Maniacs, don't we? The one time you brush back, they have it. Uh, <coughs> but that said, unless this guy is so in tune with what others think of him or her, uh, I'm I'm going to have to call, too. So let's make the call. And, you know, the funny thing about what you mentioned there before we go on is that uh, what I wanted to say is the one time you brush back, because we all remember that, right? Yep. You're playing at this guy, and they're like, all right, got him right where I want. Boom, there we go. And, yep. oh, my God, he's got yep. it, right? Yep, yep. So I was going to say, well, it's just like, you know, all my aces get cracked, right, which is not true, right? But I think the reason we think the difference between that and the aces scenario is usually when we play back in the Maniac, we get busted and we leave, right? Yeah. <laughs> so we don't have a chance to get it back at that point. So it hurts a little bit more than when the when his aces get cracked. But a good point, though. Yeah. All right, here we go. Here's part two. Hello again. This player is a Maniac, but we haven't seen him trap once tonight. So I'm going to dismiss any sets, aces, or kings. This might be premature, but I just don't feel like these hands are in his range. More realistically, he could have jack-8, 8-5, or even like ace-jack, king-jack, queen-jack, or jack-10. Those would be his made hands. But this just feels like a draw. Maybe some kind of combo draw. I doubt he's as strong as like the 10-9 of spades or the 7-6 of spades. I think this is a call. We make it. Our opponent keeps his cards down, and when the turn and river end up being red aces, our opponent excitedly turns over the ace of spades, ten of spades. Ugh. Well played. Until next time, I'm Malcolm O'Malley saying sometimes the right move can end up feeling so wrong. You just gotta keep your head up. I hope to see you on the felt. Yeah, dims the brakes. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) And run a runner, too. You know, you know, you didn't need both of them. It's just, oh man, what a slap in the face that is. Well, and the funny thing is, dude, what's the, it, I don't, I don't, can't remember if you said the hands were turned over before that, but um, at that point you're looking, okay, all right, I just need to avoid. I, you know, I, even though an ace is going to hurt me uh, or or beat me, I'm thinking, all right, he's playing that on a flush draw. I'm hoping yeah. for no, no spades, and no spades come, and I still get mad. <laughs> Two red aces. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Mel, we're not laughing at you. We're uh, we're laughing with you. <laughs> like, I'm not dead yet. Boom. Now I'm dead. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah, because at that point, then you have to hit a queen, so now you're down to two outs. And one of them can't be a spade because, right, you don't have the spade. We have the heart and the club in our hands, so so you got, you're down to one out. You're done hitting a one-outer. Uh. I'll tell you what happens to me all the time, and I think it happens to other people, too. Let, let's assume there wasn't that ace on the turn, but the ace came on the river. And I would be, I would be like, yes, I survived. And then I see the pop being pushed that away. I'm like, what's going on? I'm like, oh, he's got an ace. Yeah, he had the ace of spades. In his <laughs> because I was so focused on the spade. All he yeah. needed was a spade, right? Yeah. So anyway, that, that didn't work anyway, what I was saying. But Because uh, <laughs> he had the ace of spades in his hand. I wasn't the, the other guy. But uh, still, it's just bizarre that you're you're so hoping he doesn't hit the flush, and then it goes red ace, red ace. Unreal. Yeah. All right, it's time for the Advanced Poker Trading.com Hand of the Week. Send your hands or situations podcast to antiatmagazine.com. If you ever want something from us in the past year, you'll get a free membership to Advanced Poker Training, the world's number one poker training site. Phil Lamb is back in the house, Chris. And uh, let's see, he says, um, still loving the podcast. Thanks for keeping it going all these years. Thank you. Sorry I haven't joined you for a cruise yet, but like the Cubs used to say, there's always next year. But, you know, the Cubs say now almost every year, so. Oh, is that what they say? They're saying. Well, they're, I mean, they got Madden now, so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they've won it already, so. Well, yeah. Doesn't mean you can't win it again. I tell you, in my lifetime, I thought for sure that I was never going to see the Cubs and Red Sox win it all or the Eagles. And it basically all happened in a span of, like, two or three years, and now I just want to kill myself but uh, <laughs> i was happy for the cubs though the, the other two teams though i wish they never won again but whatever <laughs> all right uh this is one three no limit hold'em and he says nine players mostly good players mostly playing tight uh we have a tight image winning three out of the five hands we played without a showdown we folded one hand on the turn have shown only one hand we raised pre-flop with pocket hands and shot with a lady that also had tens we both hit a straight on the river boy that's always fun uh, the guy on our right seems like one of the best at the table. The elderly man on our left is loose and the worst player at the table, at least in the 45 minutes or so we've been here. He's also the only guy we would classify as very aggressive. Interesting. Right. I, I've got some things to say. Yeah, okay, good. All right, so first, wow, you've won five pots in less than 45 minutes. That's remarkable. Uh it down. Huh? Without yeah. showing? And, and that's the other thing. Well, he How, went, no, he won three out of five. Three of five. Right, three so he's won three out of the five hands. Uh, no, no, he's won three out of them without a showdown. So, but, but even so, how do you have a tight image by not showing down hands? That doesn't. You have to at least show them down so they know. Hey, look at this guy. He only enters with ace king or aces or kings. Or, you know, but you didn't even show down three of those hands. So you got two hands that you showed down. How did you get a tight image in forty-five minutes only showing two hands? That's. That's well, remarkable. He only showed one, I think. He pulled one on the hand on the turn, and then showed the only hand he showed him was the tens. Wait, I'm sorry, I'm kind of confused. I thought he said he played, he played five hands in 45 minutes, won three. I thought he won three out of the five hands one, we played. Folded one, and then exposed the tens, which he shopped with the lady. All right, so I'm confused. I was thinking that he had won five hands, but only three no. of them went without showdown. He's played five, but won three. Not a bad percentage. Yeah, no, that's a good percentage, but without a showdown. So I, I don't know. Yeah, it's a good point. He's about, only showing one hand. Or it looks like yeah. I, I, one hand. How does he have a tight image? So, all right. See, and that's I also the thing. like that the elderly man in the story is the very aggressive man, or very pleasant. That you don't see that very often. No, do you? but you have to understand that a lot of poker is the image that you're giving off. 
But if you don't understand the image you're giving off, then yeah, that's going to hurt you. So I don't know what made them think you were tight. So I need to I need to bo- drill down to the bedrock of that and see why you're a tight player in their minds. But maybe it'll come out later. I don't know. But to me, if you've only shown one hand, basically, I don't understand how that makes you a tight player. And you've won. You've already played five hands in 45 minutes. You're averaging one hand every nine minutes, and it takes probably what five minutes per hand. So you're you're pretty much seeing a lot of flops. So that doesn't seem tight either. Well, right? and particularly if he says everybody's playing tight. So if, if you yeah. played five hands in 45 minutes, you're probably one of the loose people there. Yeah, I would think you're loose more than tight. But again, that may not. It may come out later in this. I don't know what you're going to say next, but just. Make sure you're in tune with exactly why you're considered tight. Basically, you're a tight player because you never enter a hand, and when you do, you've always got aces, kings, or ace, king, or queens, or something, and you show them down so they know that, you know. Um, right. And the other thing too is you raised preflop with tens, and chopped the lady who also had tens, so that you both had pocket tens. That's crazy. Oh, and you both hit a straight on the river. So did she have pocket tens? Or just have a ten. Um. But anyway, I don't know. 10, so I yeah. assume yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, yeah, just always be cognizant of what your details are. You know what I mean? Like, in this case, I don't think... Because in the old days, Scott used to think... Remember when we you said somebody was a rock? Yeah, yeah. Right? And you you thought that meant they were, like, loose or something. Or, like, no, that means tight. And you didn't you didn't know that at the time. So it's it's beneficial to know why they would think you're a tight player. And in this case, I don't think what you've told us so far would make you a tight player all right we spent too much time on that <laughs> just i just thought that was interesting all right let's find out all right all right the under the gun folds under the gun plus one calls uh three dollars he says that's the best player okay um and he says this limp from early position is highly unusual for him we're next to act uh with ace of diamonds king of diamonds hmm. and remember we have a tight image yeah, I mean, that, if if we truly have that tight image, then if you were hoping to get everybody to fold and just take it down, then a raise here might do that because everyone thinks you're tight and you only play with big hands. But at the same time, they're going to expose that too. They're going to call with lower, smaller hands and try to outflop you um, and then take your stack. So you got to be cognizant of that as well. Generally, I'm raising with ace-king suited, no matter what's unusual for the person's play earlier than us. But if you're really convinced this guy's doing this with aces, then, you know, but you just can't. You can't possibly know somebody that well 45 minutes at a table. And unless you've played with somebody for a lifetime and saw that every time they do that, they show aces, there's no way you're not playing this hand. And I don't think I'm limping with it either. I still want to get heads up with them in position. So I'm going to make it like, I don't know, fifteen bucks maybe. You know, when you play live one three games, it's that's a pretty standard raise with somebody limping. I think so, somewhere yeah, around fifteen twenty. So normally, I'd go ten, and you account for the extra limpers thirteen. I don't like to make those weird bets in live games. <laughs> with third of it, so I'm gonna round it off to fifteen. Yeah, like that. that sounds good. All right, uh, here it says the table must be relatively new because everyone has about three hundred, which is the max buy-in, and it's about nine a.m. on a Saturday morning. We bought him for two hundred and now have two fifty. The only guy that doesn't cover me is a loose player on my left that rebought for two hundred a couple hands ago. The normal raise with no lippers is being seven to twelve dollars. 
With a tight image, one limper, still a reposition, and lots of players behind us. We've got to raise. We make it 15, and it folds to the big blind, who is another good, tight player. Uh, he calls, and the limper on her right hesitates just a second or two and then raises to 50. The big blind looks like he's going to fold, but it's on us. What's the move? Uh, trademark uh, O'Malley. Um, I don't know. I Again, it, it's just so difficult to know how this player plays after just 45 minutes at the table, uh, even if you've seen 20 hands with him. You know, because if you've seen 20 hands, he's only been able to raise twice or be under the gun plus one twice in that situation. So even if you've seen 40 hands in 45 minutes, which you did not, he still have only you've only seen him play under the gun plus one four times. So it's hard to really know that it's that unusual unless you've played with this player before, and it seems like you haven't. So um, I'm I'm not sure. I mean, Ace King, I, I'm. I'm fairly certain I'm playing Ace King. Now it's whether or not I'm going to re-raise and think this guy was just trying to squeeze. And, you know, um, I don't know. I, generally, when they do that, they did it with a huge hand. Um, but the other thing that's... It's, see, there's a lot of conflicting reports here in this. If it's a tight play t- table where everyone's tight, the odds of somebody limping, hoping for a raise behind them are very rare because you know it's a tight very player and point. people aren't playing and they're limping. So why would you think that this is rare if everyone's tight? And why would he, knowing that no one plays hands, why wouldn't he want to get his money in now and get at least a raise out there and you know, and try to take control of the hand instead of hoping for somebody to check raise? You know, not check raise, but limp raise. So it's, it's interesting. I, I, I don't know what to make of this, but I don't think I could ever fold Ace-King here um, unless I was positive. You know, it's one thing if it goes raise, re-raise, re-raise, re you know, whatever, and then it gets back to us with our ace-king. Then it's like, okay, one of those guys has me dominated or is hurting me significantly. I'm going to let it go. I, I, I don't know. I guess I would just call. <clears throat> um, I can see a, a case for re-raising. Again, if you know that this guy is making a move to squeeze one of us out and hope to get heads up or hope to get on the both fold to make it look like he really had aces or kings. Um, but it's this is a tough situation now. It, uh, just a call. Well, let me ask you this: so you, you you've mentioned what I thought too. We don't have as much information as we think we have here, right? Yeah, we've been here forty five minutes. So, if in that kind of scenario, what does a under the gun limp re raise usually recommend uh, represent? Yeah, it usually represents aces. Aces are maybe kings, yeah, but not always. So I don't want to pigeonhole it all the way down to that. But those are two real possibilities. So if that's the case, and now we're calling fifty, what are we hoping to see on this flop? Are we calling that fifty for the flush or the straight? Because if an ace or king comes, now we got to figure out which one he has uh, to know whether we. And if he has aces and the king comes, that doesn't help us either, right? So. Um, I, I don't know. I'm sure, you know, I'm always a little too loose, bro. I mean, a little too tight, but, uh, this situation this early in the day without any kind of information, this just kind of screams to me danger. And I don't know if I want to continue on in this hand. I mean, even with a call, uh, if I call and yeah, I get my two diamonds or, you know, a Jack queen or something like that or whatever, then, uh, it's probably going to cost me even more to chase. So it's probably not a good thing to happen, but 
Um, I don't know. I think I might just uh, let this guy have it. Uh, plus, we got the other guy behind us now. He looks like he's going to fold, but I always never know whether that's right or not. You know, he could be thinking about the football game score at the time or, yeah. you know, <laughs> something else and uh, misreading that. So, I, I don't know. Tournament, you know, the, we got the clock ticket and we got to make some chances from time to time. Cash games, we don't. So, um, I, I, I'm going to fold here, and you guys can laugh at me all you want, but I just I don't know what we're hoping for in this flop now. No, I, I I'm not laughing. I it, that's why it was such a dilemma. It's just it's hard to let go of Ace King suited, and it's hard to really know what this guy's doing because it's it could be a coin flip. There, it could be he's saying, uh, "You should all know that when the guy under the gun plus one limps, then raises after a razor, he's got aces or kings." So he's trying to play some sort of level two, level three stuff. And then, or it could just be this guy's like, you know, I don't believe these guys now. I think that they're just, you know, one of them's definitely weak because he only merely called the raise. And I just don't believe this guy, you know, I think if he's, if I'm, here's the other upper level stuff. If I am as the undergun one player raising somebody who everyone clearly thinks is tight, then I'm telling them that whatever he has, I have it beat unless it's aces. And so, you know what I mean? So there's all this. This, but it's a one-three game. You don't really see that kind of stuff at a one-three game. It's usually pretty open. I also think the guy's going to make this move. He's also <clears> going to see bet pretty strong, right? He's not going to just make this move and if we call, go, oh, well, that was fifty bucks down the drain, right? Yeah. So he's going to make a, a pretty strong see bet at that point. And again, I don't know what's going to come on this flop other than the miracle flop straight or flop flush that's going to give me all, a whole lot of confidence to call that next. Seventy five hundred, whatever right, dollar bet, right? right? right. <clears throat> like the other thing you could do, I guess, is take it, you know, uh, and to the extreme and say, "Well, I do know what you have, and I'm shoving." And if I shove, then I'm saying to you, "Ha ha! I have the aces. I really do have the aces. I'm I, I'm hoping you have kings, and here's my here's my stack to prove it." That's and then, a strong play if he doesn't have aces or kings. Yeah, if you're wrong, you're screwed. But if you're right and he doesn't have aces, then he has to fold. I think if he doesn't have aces, he has to fold, especially since he's going to have at least 300 in front of him in an early uh, I mean, morning there's, there's game. There's always this monsters under the bed thing, but if you've got a tiny bed, those monsters have a lot more room to fill under there, right? And this is a tiny bed situation here. I mean, there's very limited number of hands that, that would be making this move, so... I don't know. That, that's, I'm going to get out here, but uh, I know that's not what's going to happen. Yeah, I, I guess I'll call, see the flop, and then depending on... Because now that we've called, he could be worried. And then you see what happens after the flop, too. If he's scared by a flop, you might take advantage of the, the position that you have. Uh, you might call again and then steal. I mean, who knows? Uh, but it's really a bizarre thing. feels like he has one of those hands. It really does. It really feels like he has aces or kings. Um, all right, well, go ahead. All right. Our hero wastes no time in shoving all in. Whoa. Yeah, we've mentioned that possibility. <laughs> That's crazy, though. Let's <clears throat> find out how crazy it is. He <laughs> says, I felt, that be, I felt that if I hesitated too long and thought about it, I would probably give away the fact that I don't have a big pocket pair. I knew if the player on my right had aces or kings, I was probably going to lose my stack. But if he had anything else, he probably would fold his equity, which may have been over 50, 50%. Getting both big fold like this was exactly what I wanted from a hand that was flopping or chopping. I think a limp uh, raise indicates a huge hand. Specifically, I put him on one of the following. Uh, Ace-Ace, three combos. King-King, three combos. Queen-Queen, six combos. 
Jack-Jack two combos, maybe, maybe not. So let's give him two out of the six combos. Ace-King, nine combos. Ace-Queen suited three combos. That makes at least 26 combinations of hands that I think he has in this exact situation. Only aces and kings can dominate me, and that's six out of the 12, 23% of his hands. But several other hands are flipping or chopping the pot. If I can fold out that equity to take a guaranteed win, I think it's a great play. What do you think? I think it's risky. Plus, I don't know if you actually... I'm not putting those eight queens. <clears throat> Here's something else, too. We waste no time in shoving, you said, right? Yeah. So you didn't think about aces, kings, queens, jacks, ace, king, ace, queen, all those combos, and all that percentage and all that math, and, and wasting no time. If it gets to the person who's only two spots away from you or whatever, and he goes 50 bucks and you shove right away, there's no way you were thinking after that $50 bet of all of those combos and all that math to well, think it was worth I, it, I, right? I will- I will defend Phil a little bit. I mean, he could have thought about those combos before it got back to him and the guy raised, you know. Yeah, but he, he raised, got one caller, and then it went to the other guy. I mean, well, it no, was pretty fast raised. at the table. Yeah, it went to the big blind and came back. Yeah, yeah so I mean... It, he had some time to think. Yeah, I don't know if he had time to do 23 percentage. You know, I mean, that that's crazy. And it, if we shove pretty quickly, I don't think you're thinking about all those combos. I think you're thinking that you didn't believe this guy. And that, or if he had kings, you're going to force him to fold his kings here, or hope you're going to get him to force you fold. It just seems, like Scott said, if you're in a tournament and your clock is ticking, you have decisions to make. But here, it's like, okay, you know, we made it. What did we make it? What, 15, I think? So, you know, all right. You learned a lesson here. You know, this guy, when this guy limps, you better really have it or whatever. I don't know. If you call. I'll say here, too, if you, rate, if you fold that 15 right there, now you've really cemented that tight image, right? Yeah. So, yeah. Which we, we already said we're not sure he had. So, but anyhow. But that's tough. That's a lot of math. That's a lot of math for you to think that that was the right move anyway. Um, But that's. That was ballsy. <laughs> I don't know what happens now. Right, I'm going to eliminate the ace queen. Uh, out of this, I just don't think Ace Queen makes this move. Right. Yeah. Um, I'm going to eliminate the Jacks out of there too. I, I just don't. I think Jacks are too vulnerable to do the limp re-raise thing, but maybe I'm wrong on that. Uh, but the other four combos are in, entirely possible, and two of them have us crushed. Um, one we have lots of outs to, and the other one we're chopping. Right. right. So. That's that's not a good scenario for me for my stack. Uh, I just don't think so. I like what he's thinking about the fold equity, but I think the the guy's going to have to have, you know, if he's a really good player, you might get him to fold kings here by this move, um, and certainly everything else other than aces. Um, but aces aren't going anywhere with this, um, and we're at a one three table, so you can't trust these players are all really good. So I can see. Kings calling here as well too. Um, I mean, even queens at this point are a coin flip still for us, right? So, yeah. And ace king. Uh, I mean, we'll chop the pot. That's no fun. And how many times have you been all in with another ace king and the other one gets the flush? Yeah, it gets the four card flush right? so, or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I I don't know. I mean, had I had the time to do all this math, that just cements the fact that I don't want to be in this pot. So. The other thing too is how many times have you heard in poker you're not playing the cards, you're playing the people. You know, you're also giving him credence for a good hand here, but he could also just be saying, "I just don't believe anybody here, and I'm making this raise." You know, so which is fine, which is why you 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 raise king shoving now is probably dominating his hand if he did that and playing the player. But it's just it's hard to do math uh, when there's nothing exposed yet. 
You know, when you're trying to come up with combos that he could possibly do this with, when if he's playing the player, he's doing it with all kinds of cards. You don't even know. So to narrow him down to the hands that he would do that with, I don't know. It, 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 I, it's hard to imagine that somebody's going to limp with Ace-King hoping to re-raise with it. Yeah, that's that's a stronger scenario. Yeah, that's right. It's a good point. Yep. And so really it's down to aces, kings, or queens. Queen. And like you yep. said, it's hard to imagine queens doing that. And aces and kings makes it even more rare that he has it because you have ace-king, or at least some rare-er. I, I just feel like if this guy's doing it, he's not doing it with 6-8 off. I, I feel like he's got it. And we're taking a big risk, regardless of the math. It's a big risk. Um, it probably, you know, I don't know. I don't know. I, you really got to be in tune with people. At, but at 9 a.m. on a Saturday, <laughs> only played 45 minutes, I think I'm letting the 15 bucks go and, and yeah. move on. Getting a little more information. Yeah. All right. Our here says, uh, we could go into more numbers, but suffice to say, your podcast has improved my game dramatically. Oh, wow. <laughs> uh, I didn't do any math at the table, but studying situations like this off the table allows me to act faster, which shows confidence that my moves are correct most of the time. Oh, okay, so he didn't do the math. He's just telling us afterwards, saying this is what it could have been percentage-wise. Yes. Okay, yeah. that makes sense, because there's no way you could shove right away and do that math. Okay, good. Uh, so that confidence is what uh, got the fold this time. The big blind folded quickly, but the limp, re- limp razor took a long time to fold. He kept asking me if I had aces, even after an hour after the hand, which leads me to believe that he may have even folded kings there. I just grinned and kept my tight image, eventually cashing out a $135 winner. Wow, he got on the fold. Oof. Yeah, if he's bugging you about aces, it sounds like he does have kings. I mean, what else? Why would he care? You Could know? be queens as well, too, but yeah. yeah. More likely, um, but I, you know, all right. So the play worked this time. I, I'm curious how. Let's run this through the advanced poker training combat simulator. Yeah. <laughs> times yeah. Uh, this play works against kings uh, or even queens for that matter. Yeah. Um, and maybe I'm wrong. You know, I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. Uh, but I, I would think that this is a high risk, uh, high reward uh, move here, and. Uh, I don't mind making high risk, high reward moves in tournaments because you have to. But in cash games, you know, especially at one three, you've got time to wait for a, a much better spot. I think too. Let your... me ask you though: Is it high reward? He won fifty bucks. I mean, really, he risked three hundred oh, to win right. fifty. That's a very good point. Yeah, he, very good point. Right? If he had three hundred in front of him, he put three hundred in the middle to win fifty plus the original guy calling his fifteen and his own fifteen back. So he won seventy bucks basically after the. Yeah, I guess I don't have to take a rake. After all that, I don't know if they do that or not, but uh, I don't think they do. But um, still, uh, you're risking 300 to win 60 or 70. Yeah, I, don't, I don't think that's really a, a higher. Yeah, very good point. Yeah. Very good so point. that was really scary. I'm, I'm glad they folded for you. And I'm glad you're on the show. Uh, it's <laughs> nice to have hands of the week where they win. Um, although Vic, she always wins. So, <laughs> all right, have a good holiday season, everybody. I'm Chris Casenza, and I'm Scott Locke. We'll see you at the table. Anti-Up is a production of antiupmagazine.com. Contact the show at podcast at antiupmagazine.com or call our hotline at 206-338-6344. If you'd like to advertise, send an email to advertising at antiupmagazine.com or call 727-331-4335. Some music used in this episode comes courtesy of the Podsafe Music Network.